to another Decade in Review podcast. This time we're covering 2018. We're in the tail end of this series. I'm your host, LB, and joining me as always is CT. Hey there. So 2018 was kind of a big year for us. Uh, There were a lot of good series on the air this year. There were a lot of bad series as well, though. So, as we've been doing for the last couple of years, I want to go ahead and go over a couple of misses of series that I checked out this year. In 2018, I mean. The first one, I have to admit that it was good for the first eight episodes or so, and then it just jumped off a cliff and that would be Kara Curry Circus. This series was, like I mentioned, fantastic for the first eight or nine episodes and then it just jumped off a cliff. Uh, basically, around the time that it kill- that it pretended to kill off one of its main characters and then revealed that he had been saved and was working in a special hospital where the doctors and nurses uh, regularly go into their office and go on drug benders. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was just a really weird way for the series to go. Uh, second series I want to mention on my misses list is My Sister, My Writer, a series so bad that the staff actually put Mayday Help Us messages in the end credits. <laughs> sure. And I'm, and I'm dead serious about that. If you look it up, they actually put fake names in the end credits that basically translated into We're in Trouble. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, Uza Maid is another series that I know a lot of people enjoyed uh, because it was just romp, just, you know, off-the-wall comedy about a maid with a lollicon fetish. Um, I personally found it a little distasteful. I didn't, so I didn't enjoy it. Uh, I only watched a couple of episodes, though, so, you know, maybe it got better as it went along. And then the last one that I want to mention for my Mrs. category is a series that I loved initially. Um, it would be the fourth season of Full Metal Panic. Hmm. I loved that series, but the fourth season was pretty awful, and it had, like, two or three recap episodes in a one-core season. Now, you described uh, mostly stuff that I had no interest in going in. Karakuri Circus was the longest series by the Ushio and Tora guy, and I'm like, eh, whatever, it didn't seem to have a whole lot going for me the other same thing on surface level was like why would i invest full metal panic i if i was caught up i would uh i forget though because this was a long time continuation was did this involve you know the same staff or a studio or was this sort of a you know pick up after a uh, long time and was kind of disconnected from the rest. I don't remember the development of this one. 
I honestly would have to look it up. Uh, as far as I'm aware, it was given a new studio because the original series was done by Gonzo. Right, but then KyoAmi took it over with Fumofu and Second Raid. Uh huh. Yeah. So it interesting journey. So this one, I guess, came back after a after a decade plus, and uh, I guess yeah, Zback did in the fourth Ooh. season, and like I said, it ended up having like two or three recap episodes in one core. <laughs> so can do that. Did it recap yeah, the it, earlier stuff? That would make sense. <laughs> Did no, it... it recapped the season because they were having production issues. Yeah. Well, speak speaking of production issues, let's uh, toss a, a quick little bone to the infamous uh, Marishin Maidshin. That was... Oh, yes. <laughs> that was pretty infamous. Uh, I know they didn't even release the last episode or the last two or whatever it was for eight months or something ridiculous like that. I, I always wonder why are you even bothering at that point? You know, may, maybe just, uh, maybe they finished it up to actually have a DVD set to sell and then they uh, then they broadcast it anyway. I'm not, I'm not sure what went on over there. It was kind of inconsequential but uh, I remember that being one of those emblematic of uh, of the problems with, uh, you know, production woes for that year. Mm -hmm. Now, the real misses for me this year, there were two of them. One of them, again, I think was a miss for everyone. Because if you're going to do a Junji Ito collection, like it should, I don't know, be scary. As yeah. opposed to laughable. And so... <laughs> Whatever they were doing, it did not strike the appropriate make his utterly horrifying uh, manga come to life in a way that would be equivalently utterly horrifying. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not sure how they didn't get through a few of them and, and they go, wait, strike that, start again. Or, uh, or just decide the whole project was a bad idea. But uh, that was a miss. Although the most personally insulting to me was a uh, series mostly no one watched called uh, Rewrited, which is uh, uh, Derrida Who Leaps Through Time. It was just some kind of uh, uh, time frame apocalyptic thing. It was, you know, a bit of stock sci-fi. But the personally insulting thing to me was that uh, Yoshitoshi Abe was attached as character designer and illustrator for it. And it just did not convey anything Abe-related. And if you're a fan of, you know, Lane or Haibane Renmei or even Welcome to the NHK, you can get the Abe-ness out of it. And this was like, uh, what? <laughs> what? Why did you bother? Why did why did you have this icon and then just kind of you know, spit all over it? So that <laughs> that made me sad. So what were what were your honorable mentions for for this year? 
So honorable mentions, I have a few of those. I actually had more of those, as you know, before we started recording, but I trimmed the list down a little bit. Mm -hmm. The first one is probably going to get me strung up, but that's okay. I don't mind. Uh, And that would be a series that I didn't watch at first in 2018. I don't think I watched it until like late 2019, early 2020, somewhere in that range. And that would be A Place Further Than the Universe. Okay. Good show. Very, very good show. I really enjoyed it, but I just didn't feel the need to put it on my main list when there's other stuff that I just really enjoyed. Uh, A series that you actually recommended to me, Run With the Wind, took place in 2018. That was a fun series that I enjoyed. Um, And then the last three are all series that, in theory, probably shouldn't have worked. But in reality, they totally did. And that surprised me with all three of them. And that would be Miss Vampire Who Lives in My Neighborhood, (laughs) Zombieland Saga, and the last one, Happy Sugar Life. Mm. Uh, Okay. I was wondering whether or not Happy Sugar Life would make your main list or you feel like you've spoken enough about it to to leave it off and and just give it a, a shout out. Yeah, I just wanted to give it a shout out because Happy Sugar Live is good, but it's just too weird to put on my main list. Okay. Uh, I did have Run With the Wind on my honorable mentions as well, because I wanted to uh, just give it a quick shout out since we covered that series. This was one of those that leaked over. It's always hard to classify because it started it end of 2017 and ended in 2018, one of those things. Uh-huh. Um, Amanshu se- uh, Season 2 came out now, so uh, just feel like mentioning that. Uh, Hisune and Masatan, a nice little uh, cute girls getting swallowed by cute dragons that turn into airplanes and then getting vomited out later. You know, nice series. Also, though, it had the uh, only ED that year that I did not skip. And paired with that, I will give a quick shout out to Kokoku, which had the only OP that uh, year that I did not skip. And it's a a reasonably fun sci-fi ride. Uh, There was, of course, that one track from Devilman Crybaby. So, uh, (laughs) Arewa That that owned certainly the beginning of the year. Uh, one thing which I've mentioned before, and I'll mention again because I don't think he requires much description, is uh, this is where I officially entered and enjoyed uh, Things Lupin. Because this was the year of Lupin the Third Part 5. I decided, eh, it's back. I didn't watch Part 4, but, you know... Who knows? I'm watching a lot at this point anyway. So I started watching part five. It had just enough interesting structure that I invested time 
an interest in it. And then I started working my way backwards through part four and otherwise. So I know you said you haven't mainlined Lupin. I think part four or part five would both be good ways in. For for me, I think part five is was more effective than part four would have been. But there is some stuff that happens right at the very end of part five that would be much more of meaning if you part forward your way in because it uh it got to bring you know cameo appearances from the other modern stuff so uh i still haven't gone backwards further from there but uh i do have three more things but if uh that'll have a a concept so i don't know if you have anything you wanted to say about what i brought up already uh, no, Lupin, we've talked about before how I haven't watched, like, any of it yet. Uh, one of these days I'm going to. I'm kind of working my way through a few different series right now that are finally completely dubbed. So that's on my list to eventually get through. So in my shuffling of things around, but needing to mention, but also... Uh, trying to avoid any possible overlap with you. Uh, I'm I'm going to bring up three things that uh, I know you wouldn't. Uh, one of them is one of those shows that seem to take over, uh, uh, especially right at the end of the year, which was uh, Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai. This year also had one of the better romances and a beauty romance at that with Bloom Into You. And of course, the bloodiest anime that has ever been. I'm of course talking about Cells at Work, where literally <laughs> half the characters are blood. And they bleed. Yes. Now I mentioned all three of these in a row because I know you dropped all of them. And in fact, <laughs> the weirdest thing is that Bunny Girl Senpai you dropped at 10. You didn't drop in the beginning or at 3. You dropped at 10. So this is where I feel like I need more commentary from you on them. Uh, I suppose with Cells at Work, you just kind of... Uh, uh, I guess you didn't put it on hold. I, I suppose the, the humor, the conceit just stopped being entertaining for you at, at a certain point. So that's fine. But I'm I'm curious how you get deep into a show like Bunny Girl Senpai or even Bloom Into You and then decide that at a certain point, nah, I'm outie. Were there particular events? Were was it a sliding scale for you? What what was going on with those? Um, I'll start with Bloom Into You. Bloom Into You is a series that I plan to finish at some point. I'm just not in a rush. Um, but I, now that I have access to High Dive and VRB, uh, I'll probably watch that at some point. Bunny Girl Senpai is a series that I regret not finishing. And it wasn't, it wasn't that I, like, dropped it because something bad happened or something just or something in the series made me stop enjoying it because I was still enjoying it it was just that there was so much going on at that time that I just lost track of it and never went back to it 
I would really love it if Anaplex would dub it. I believe they only released a sub for it. Right. So I would love it if it was released dubbed so I could go back and watch it a little bit easier. Um, but no, there was nothing about Funny Girl Senpai that made me like okay. dislike it all of a sudden. It was just I lost track of it. Uh, towards the tail end. I may be misremembering then. I thought that you had red dotted them on your list, but I guess you uh, you just... They're, they're on hold for you rather than being an explicit drop. So. Yeah, no. There wasn't anything about Bloomin' to You or Bunny Girl Senpai that made me, you know, suddenly do a 180 on them. It was just I lost track. <laughs> nice okay that's that is good uh one more thing to note about cells at work we are coming into a season with both season two of the original and the spin-off cells at work black where the frame of reference is they're kind of character and gender swapping all of the roles uh <laughs> that are done in it and the point of view is from people who are you know, drug addicts or cancer sufferers. It, the reason it's called Black is because it's from a diseased body perspective rather than a healthy body that's fighting off things. It seems to be trying to shift the tonality of it, which I think will be very entertaining. Uh, what I think I is really interesting is that fans in the United States are getting both of those series two days before people in Japan, oh. which you have to imagine just pisses people off to no end over there. <laughs> I would imagine. So, well, they can just, you know, get a VPN and watch ours. <laughs> so, uh, reversal of fortunes. Did you have any other series nope. that you wanted to mention or anything no, else you no. wanted to bring up before we get into no. our main lists? Not from there. Not from there. So. Alright. So then let's get into our main list for 2018 because we're probably going to be talking quite a bit about a few of them. Um, we'll go ahead. We'll start with you as always. Uh, what is your first pick for 2018? Okay. Now, one of the things about 2018 for me, I think, was there was probably, this feels like it had the largest amount of anime ava really available in theaters at this point. Uh, it was far enough ahead of your name that places started picking up a whole lot more. It was, uh, you know, Ghibli Fests were in full maximum swing. I got to see most uh, and all of these things multiple times in the theaters. And this is my uh, way to avoid any possible crossover with you. Uh, my list is going all movie. Okay. So, I, so uh, therefore, I, in part because uh, I think we would you know, fight over places on the list. I did think that you might have put a place further than the universe up there on your main list. So that that was part of the contention. So that one wouldn't have been. But 
and because I revealed my conceit, now I'll give a quick two shouts out to other movies that were interesting in 2018 but did not make my main list. Uh, one of them is Akko's Inn, which was a, you know, a, a cute little, much more child-focused uh, movie, uh, Madhouse production. The the director is the director of things like Cheese Sweet Home and Polar Bear Cafe, so you can probably just from that understand the the general tone of it uh it felt a lot like uh marrying the witch's flower as far as a overall production and effort it was it was it was nice it was enjoyable but it it didn't aim you know hugely high uh there's another interesting uh thing called flavors of youth which was a uh comics wave production that's uh makoto shinkai's uh studio but he was not involved with this so much as a co-production between them and howliners so it was an anthology uh of a number of as you can probably guess from flavors of youth uh, uh you know coming of age romance that sort of thing so it was an interesting sort of experience but uh I will give my my starting one, and these are more in order of emphasis and uh, and impact for me. One that I thought would be a lot higher due to his track record, uh, but I will just give the 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 starter position to Mamoru Hosoda's uh, Mirai. So that was a uh, that was his uh, uh, what is it movie about siblingdom. Prior to this, of course, Wolf Children, my favorite uh, movie of all time, uh, was about, uh, what is it, motherhood, and Boy and the Beast is more about fatherhood. This was about a sibling connection, so you have a kind of a toddler boy uh, who's, you know, the, the life of his household, uh, but then he's going to have a baby sister just born uh so now being the focus of his parents life he starts to uh you know not, not experience regret precisely but obviously for a kid uh uh you know reacting to the presence of uh, uh someone else in the household but uh, the supernaturalism sets in and he starts uh interacting with the future version of his sister other other characters are there but the primary one that he works with is he gets to meet his sister not the baby just coming home here but uh the middle school or, or high school aged version of her so it becomes a you know an overall family familial connection kind of thing we get to meet uh, ancient members of the uh, family as well. Even while there's normal, regular life continuation, he sort of has his imaginary trips into the past or into the future. You get to meet, I think, the best uh, and sexiest grandpa character in, uh, in Animatum, so it's got that going for it. And it's overall an enjoyable movie, but considering the expectations I have for Hosoda in general, it comes across a little bit 
it, it comes across a little bit, you know, tinged in disappointment for me because the previous two, I think, loom very large, especially Wolf Children, which is uh, uh, as impactful as it gets. And Mariah is nice. But, but that's where it stays. It stays in nice. So it's obviously very pretty. Uh, it is obviously going going to be very enjoyable. It just did not quite measure up. Didn't stop me from watching it in the theaters at least two times. I forget how many. I was I was still abusing all you can eat uh, movie theater trip uh, plans at that point, so I could uh, <laughs> even. Even though anime movies do not ever qualify for this kind of thing, or rarely do, one of them did, uh, for the AMCs, all, all you could eat, they would exclude things like Fathom events and special events, so the Ghibli ones wouldn't make it. There's nothing to say that you can't go into a movie theater buying a ticket for one movie and then walk into a different theater. So uh, I did an awful lot of that in 2018. <laughs> you so, bad, bad person. I am a bastard but uh so yeah that uh that that's where i'm gonna start us at all right sounds good uh as usual it's been well established on these podcasts that i'm not much of a movie watcher so i'm not gonna have a whole lot of commentary to throw towards your choices so for my first one this is us before i realized that you were going to do all movies i actually asked you if you were going to include this one and you told me to go with it so i'm going to um i was uh, going to put this one on my list last and close things off a bit but then i figured you know what let's just open it up open the floor up first and get it all out of our system and that'd be violet <laughs> evergarden shocking yes i can totally tell how shocked and awe you are so why did you choose to pick such an uh ugly and <laughs> non uh feelings inducing uh anime with such a bad soundtrack I, I like how it's described in some places as coming of age. And I'm like, it it, it just stops me a bit. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but uh, it certainly doesn't feel like that. So did you, uh, did you watch Violet weekly at the time? Or did you uh, wait until it was over and, and dubbed to down it all in one big... Uh, emotional pile i marathoned it on netflix that's true this was a not flex production so yes it was and i remember when i wrote my review of it i i prefaced this with i know that this is not how anime works and all that good stuff i know that but i still find it really funny in my head to think that Netflix just drove a dump truck full of money up to the front door of Kyoto Animation, dumped it all out and said, go nuts. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I, I do remember those those PVs some, being some of the most just visually guh 
<laughs> things there. And they're like, they're, this isn't a movie. They're going to make a TV show that looks like this. Apparently, yes. Yeah, Violet Evergarden is just probably the best-looking Kyoto animation series ever. It's um, There's really no equal in their entire library for a series that looks as good as it does, and then you add in the emotional weight of Violet learning how to become a writer uh, through trial and error, which anyone who works as a writer can totally relate to that. I know that I could. Uh, and then you add in the absolutely beautiful soundtrack by Evan Call, which I have brought up on our previous uh, sound, uh, composer sound podcast. Sure, I've heard you mention him. Hmm. Yeah, there's not a whole lot that has to be said about this in general, and we have spoken a, a lot about it before. Uh, I do enjoy that uh, even the the infamous uh, episode 10 uh, uh, when, when watching this at... Uh, one point or when when my mother was uh i believe it was that wasn't the most emotional it was either the one right before or right after where it it, it almost felt like it had a, a couple endings there there was an episode which felt very much like she had come into her own and the way it was ending with uh, her thoughts about the the captain and, and other things it it became a a good encapsulation of everything. It just wasn't the actual end of the series. And then there is, you know, the more emotional height to go, but that particular one uh, uh, caught her. So there were, there were a number of moments that, uh, that definitely felt good. Uh, and then, of course, we, we got to dip, dip in towards the end a much more about what happened you know, during wartime and what happens to her as she's back in an area of conflict. Uh, so it's it's definitely interesting. I know that there is the film. I'm trying to remember that there there was the there's the new movie that just came out. Mm-hmm. Which is, I guess, the uh, more continuation. And there was the other film, which felt, I think, more like an an extended OVA rather than a film. I don't remember how long that one was, but uh, there's been. You, you kind of wonder why not just a season two, but then again, of course, there's the uh, the studio and the production teams involved in this. Obviously, changed a lot. If I recalled one of the you know the main film was almost done before the uh the arson attack did happen yeah uh, i'm not sure how production of anything works i forget i think it's only four novel are they novels or light novels yeah, uh novels i believe okay if i recall correctly violet evergarden is the only submission 
from Kyoto Animation's annual contest that ever won the grand prize, if I recall correctly, because I remember for many years I would make fun of Kyoto Animation for holding a contest and not give, uh, giving out a grand prize. Hmm. And then they finally did. So, you know, yay for that. So I guess technically there's not enough content for a, a whole extra core, as it were, but... Uh... Yeah. Maybe. I'm not sure how much more story. I don't know if it wraps up or if the author still has more to uh, authorize. But uh, is there anything specific you want to leave Violet off with? Uh, No, just uh, if you haven't listened to our other podcast where we talk about this show in depth and at length, then you should go back and do so. Uh, We especially when went off about it on our A to Z cast. So definitely worth going back and listening to those, to that part. Go, go, go. <laughs> uh, with that, let's go ahead. Let's move on to our second choice. What is your number two movie? Now this one feels very much more coming of age because that is, is literally it. I think it steers a little bit uh, melodramatic for a lot of people, uh, but it's it's one of those melancholy romance types of things. I think it has uh, one of the most interesting titles uh, out here. It was called I Want to Eat Your Pancreas. And I... I know certainly it kept on my radar simply due to the name. And I'm like, what the heck is this about? Is it a horror? It's not a horror, actually. Uh, it has to do with a boy meet girl and a romance that develops, but it's a uh, girl who has been suffering from a fatal pancreatic illness. So it's it's one of those doomed romance sort of things right from the start. Uh, I think it's, you know, fairly well handled. The The author, I believe, has done only this and was a fairly young uh, novelist at the time. Uh, so there's, you know, a, a bit of uh, cringe here and there. <laughs> it doesn't end quite where you think it's going to, so there's some interesting coda uh, to it. There's there is an unexpected development that kind of changes the the way that you approach the the fatalism that it's been conveying the whole time but uh but overall if you enjoy this type of thing you can rather imagine you know what it's going to be going in you are not going to get surprised by it but i think you will invest in the the characters and uh, the uh, melodrama, if uh, if you're that type of person, so there's there's not a whole lot to go on about it for. I just recommend doing it if it's the type of thing that you do. Uh, I'm curious about the studio. They are a fairly new uh, studio. Uh, they split off from Madhouse and. Uh, and just started picking up some co-productions with MAPPA and then doing their own stuff, including one Karakuri Circus. So 
<laughs> what what you mentioned earlier was their other production in 2018. <laughs> uh, and they're doing an original work for next year called Black or Back Arrow, looks like. Uh so yeah, I'm I think I'm more interested in their um you know what they what they may pick up for movie productions because this one I think was well handled for for what it for what it uh was and, and how it treated it. So and it's certainly worth the investment of your time. I haven't watched it, obviously, but <laughs> I remember when it was first announced, I was going through the Japanese blogs uh, on a particular day looking for stuff to write about, and I remember seeing the announcement, and I remember seeing Google Translate translating the title into roughly what the English title ended up being and I thought that it was a complete translate fail. <laughs> I was trying to figure out like what the hell was going on, what was this about. It was just it really threw me for a loop. And then I saw the official English title and was like, okay. Yeah. I have no idea what to make of this. I forget the exact part of it, but it it uh, is supposed to represent a kind of uh, sharing of uh, of experience or being able to grant someone something of yourself to uh, to carry on with. I'd have to watch it again. It's obviously been a couple years, and uh, and sometimes these sorts of things meld together a little bit, so you lose the the finer details without uh, stuffing it back in your brain. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so for my number two, I am going to go with one of the better Yashikes of 2018. And I am very excited that it is returning next year. And that would be the Winter Camping Series Laid Back Camp or Yuru Camp, whichever title you prefer uh i am not a big camper i don't like the outdoors all that much i much prefer being indoors with internet access <laughs> sure uh but this series still was just so comfy and cozy that it didn't surprise me when I started seeing reports from people saying that they took up winter camping specifically because of the <laughs> series. True. Yes, definitely fun. It, it, it seems to have gotten a whole lot of uh, uh, attention in general because uh, the, the Haya Camp short showed up this year. Uh, I feel like I might enjoy it more if it was just Rin. <laughs> in in a way that I think has appealed kind of like Wakakozake does not have a extended cast. It is simply this one uh, office lady and her experience and blowing off steam. And she interacts with people occasionally, but for a short... Now, maybe you couldn't make a full anime out of it, but I, I feel there would be something very zen contemplative if it was largely... Rin going through her daily life and then making of it her camping experiences 
in different places and doing different things rather than also introducing the newbie cast to draw the audience into what is what is camping uh but you know i I suppose it wouldn't hold as much appeal to people but there's a weird part of me that i think would enjoy it if it was literally just rin or maybe her sister driving her to uh other places so we get a little bit of family but then a lot of just her in the outdoors maybe season three (laughs) everyone else gets bored and gives up and it's just written from then on Uh, well I have to admit that I've got a soft spot for Nadeshko but Irene has a mighty hair bun she does she has a very mighty hair bun so did you take up winter camping then no, I did not. I did not take up winter camping because of this series. I did not join the legions who ha- who went out and bought the officially licensed camping gear. Then, then can you truly say that you are a fan of this show? <laughs> I think not. Did you at least go on the hunt for cup uh, of curry noodles? Uh, I didn't have to hunt all that hard for those. They sell those in our area. There you go. I just, I don't think I've ever picked any up because I'm not a huge fan of curry. But... Neither am I, but when you get that show connection in there... So, for instance, I didn't really go hunting uh, karage specifically until that one arc in Food Wars where Soma goes home and uh, the local shopping arcade is being threatened because there's business being stolen from them uh, because uh, too many people are going to the classy uh, karage shop in the uh, uh, train station and that it becomes a war of making the best karage and bringing life back. to It was such a, a cute little arc and it didn't have the overboard uh, uh, craziness that you normally get in so much stuff. Not not everyone was uh, doing their shokugeki uh, tournaments in uh, in the middle of arenas and doing arena cooking. So it was it was neat. And because it was there, I'm like, oh yeah, that that place I go to uh, has a, a place that sells karage. So I started getting it there. Now I I have a compulsion to get it there all the time. So, it kind of doesn't matter if you didn't really think of it before or didn't even enjoy it too much before. Once once you have a fun uh, uh, weeb connection, I feel like uh, I feel like it it becomes a a thing all on its own. Well, I don't know. I mean, I love sushi and takoyaki, but I don't have a real like anime connection or weeb connection between those foods. It's just foods that I find tasty. Ah, they are. I mean, sushi is just Japan, though. That's not that's not really going to come from a specific anime connection. Yeah. Would you specifically pursue something like taiyaki if it wasn't like for me, it was uh, all purpose cultural cat girl. Nuku Nuku had a huge thing for taiyaki. And I'm like, oh, they're what the heck are these things? They're fish-shaped, you know, bean-filled pastries. So I definitely pursued that due to Nuku Nuku. 
over time, I get uh, regular obanyakis where the bean paste to pastry is shifted more in the azuki bean paste direction. So it, I get more uh, bean for the price. But every once in a while, you still got to get a, a taiyaki because, you know, they're fish shaped. <laughs> Oh, by the way, just for the sake of saying so, if you're ever looking for an excuse to move out west, we do have a Taiyaki food truck out here in Seattle. <laughs> nice. You got yourself a whole food truck specialist. We do. Nice. So, alright, let's go ahead, let's get back on track and to go into our number three slot. What is your third choice? Uh, my third choice was, uh, when I was at Anime Expo 2018, I had to camp out four hours to see this thing. It's where I didn't camp out, uh, with enough time to see the U.S. debut of what I'm going to end with. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, well... Here's this other movie I really want to see. I guess I just got to get in line, you know, now and uh, friggin' deal with it. So that that is what happened, but I managed to make it in. This was the directorial debut of Mario Kata. And I forget if it was... I guess it wasn't the first movie that PA Works did, but I believe it was the... Uh, uh, like a a unique or disconnected movie. I'm, I'm forgetting at this point now. But, uh, but Mario Kata left from uh, writer to become director. She did hook up with, you know, some others who she often would, would partner with. Uh, and uh, the result was a, you know, an, your usual emotional roller coaster ride. But in this case, the form of a uh, war-torn fantasy world uh, Machia when the promised flower blooms is the full name of it uh, she's got a thing for flowers apparently <laughs> uh, as well I, I found it a very interesting sort of vehicle uh in the beginning of it, you you deal with Maki. You essentially deal with a kind of an aloof race of what, for all intents and purposes, are elves. They are long lived. They live separate from the rest of this fantasy world. They largely live in an area, and all they do is weave tapestries and uh, be amongst each other. So you know, there's there's a certain amount of uh, uh, fascination with the exoticness of their species, their uh, of their race, rather, of, uh, you know, I, I guess their, uh, their weavings are pursued, but in this case, they become pursued for the purpose of, uh, what is it, uh, human conquerors attempting to lengthen their prestige and the lifespan of uh, of their progeny and have a connection with these other, uh, what is it, legendary creatures 
uh, in this case, a, a kind of dragon folk that they're connected with. So uh, they're they're trying to use uh, these people politically. So uh, the Lorf are invaded. Uh, Machia is separated from her people and lands in an area and has to live amongst humankind at that point. And on the way to living somewhere, she comes across a war-torn human village and finds a, an infant survivor of, of what was essentially a Conan scene. Uh, so she takes that child with her and ends up adopting him as her own. And so what What you actually get a true coming-of-age story here. What you get is a connection between a sort of a, a mythical creature, as it were, but lear learning to live amongst the humans and raising a human and being uh, as good of a mother as she can, which was not something seemingly that they were well-connected with or certainly wouldn't have been at that age. So we we follow them uh, uh, in in amongst uh, you know a, a regular village outskirts and then you know she discovers more of her people who've been taken or are being used and abused uh, she's brought into and out of conflict and in the meanwhile you get to experience the changes of her child growing you know from uh, infanthood to young adulthood to becoming a soldier for a kingdom on its own right to eventually having his own child you you get to to get a, an interesting journey with multiple uh, vantage points so you get a different kind of fantasy story being told I think in a in a notably different way uh, obviously again I've, I've mentioned I'm a, a sucker for you know drama and uh, even even leaning hard into melodrama this has plenty of that uh, <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed the uh, the ebb and flow of everything by the end and I think it's uh, it, it's another one of those that you described the way that girls last tour ends in a sort of wistfulness and uh uh what is that my i'm blanking on the uh on the way but the but the the type of ending is not something that necessarily wraps up in a in a beautiful happy way that uh that everyone is pleased with but there is a uh there's a a version of satisfaction to it like like the way that wolf children ends and things like that it uh it becomes about the the sort of connections between characters and uh and not necessarily that everything happens in a way that you will like <laughs> so uh it uh it's it's definitely an interesting ride all told i'm uh certainly hoping that uh okada goes in another you know self-created direction rather than just adaptation because she of course does that a whole lot is uh is adaptations i forget 
uh, I know that there is uh, Herb Blue Sky that I haven't seen yet, so I believe that's the the uh, you know the Peace Buster is back in in form again. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but I'd I'd like to see her try her hand at something again in in the Machia sort of direction. It would it would be uh, uh, quite the ride. So for my number three. I am going to go with a series that initially I scoffed at. I watched the first three or four episodes when it was originally released in Japanese, and then I dropped it for a while. But then I picked it back up after it was fully dubbed, and I ended up really enjoying it. This is a series... Basically, all of my series from spots three to five are series that I've watched multiple times all the way through from beginning to end. Even uh, just since 2018. Yep, indeed. So, uh, my number three series is going to be that time I got reincarnated as a slime. <laughs> so, Slime Isekai is, like I said a series that I initially scoffed at because I thought the idea of an OP slime was just rather silly. Uh, but then once I got into it and started to watch more of it and started to really kind of dig into what it was trying to do, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I have gone back and watched it at least two or three times now from beginning to end. Um, it's just a really fun isekai story. I still get a chuckle out of the whole, the last dying breath being destroy my hard drive <laughs> and his best friend actually going through a bit and dropping his computer into a bathtub full of water. Now, as an IT professional, let me tell you that that is not officially the best way to destroy the uh, information on his hard drive, especially if it's an SSD. So, yes, I enjoyed that scene, but let's be real, I could still get the porn off of that computer. That is good information to have. <laughs> I will keep that in mind if I ever need to have my computer destroyed for whatever reason. Exactly. Watch yourself. <laughs> so yeah, but that time I got reincarnated as a slime, I'm actually really excited about next year because we're getting three full cores worth of Slime Isekai. We're getting season two in January. We're getting the Slime Diaries in April, and then we're getting the second half of season two in July. I'm really kind of surprised that they didn't figure out a way to throw in something else for October just to give us a full year of slime isekai. That would, that would be interesting. Definitely be interesting. And and well worth it. I certainly plan on following uh, Vimuru around the whole time. And yes, let, let's be real, of course. The premise of it is as ridiculous as they come to for... Uh, for your your uh, uh, isekai sort of thing, but indeed the the ultimate story that's being told is one of uh, 
I'm I'm an overpowered uh, uh, being on this world, so therefore let me re-sculpt society uh, to make it a a swell place uh, for all of the uh, usually the the explicitly monster races, but uh, there there are others around. But because uh, Rimuru is coming from that of a monster, has the connection with. Uh, with those types, so making uh, having all of your uh, good guy goblins, your your dwarves uh, that you actually you know make allies with, that you have a, a group of ogres and lizard man. Again, it's it's coming from an interesting direction, not an overlord like one where your frame of reference is with the bad guys, and so you're fine with them. But in this one. It's much more like okay, we're we're following this character, and this character is basically making is powerful enough to make uh, all of these people get along, uh, <laughs> making good and and teaching a bunch of youthful uh, mage types here, but all of it is in basically in service of just being a good entity in general. And the focus uh, is on, you know, making a a kingdom that can, uh, uh, you know, diplomatically be uh, uh, a friend to uh, the others out there and use what what strength they have to uh, solidify relationships rather than take things over. So it's uh, it's a, it's an interesting overall story being told. And Rimuru uh, is just fun as a uh, as a as an MC. Yeah, he is, and plus he's just cute as the Dickens. I really wish that I had pulled the trigger on buying the Rimuru slime plushies that were sold. Hmm. I, I assume they would still be lying around somewhere. But, they might be. Maybe not. Maybe not. Let's go ahead. Let's move along. What is your number four slot? Okay. I had not heard of the studio prior to this uh, movie. I had uh, heard of the author of the book this is an adaptation of, although I think prior to the movie, I forget if I'd looked this up or not, uh, I think the primary advantage is of the source material, but it's such a fun and lively uh, uh, thing. The uh, the story is uh, a weird, you know, modern day sci-fi thing involving an awful lot of uh, penguins, and that's because I'm talking about Penguin Highway. Uh, where effectively you have a bunch of elementary school kids, one of whom has been noticing penguins popping up in town for no reason. And so he's being a a little uh, a detective sort and trying to find out the reason where, where are these penguins coming from? You know, why are they here? Uh, uh, runs across a 
strange lady later on uh, who uh, starts to show the other weirdness going on that uh, she can throw objects into the air and they turn into penguins. Almost nothing about this is explained. It's just a widening of the amount of weirdness and all of the weirdness is penguin involved, which adds a direction of uh, strange cuteness to it. So <laughs> you're never really forced into the normal direction of, you know, like a, a sci-fi mystery or anything hard sci-fi because it it always has this softer edge to it. Uh, but I think that the uh, our precocious kids are handled very well. Uh, there's even, you know, bits of romance here and there in it, which is uh, which is deployed very, very cutely, as it were. Uh, it's not often you get a cast of characters who are explicitly all kind of like, 10, 11 year, year olds and it not being, you know, an annoying brat fest and having actual diversity between them and <laughs> having to follow a compelling course of action. Uh, it, is, it is overall just a fun and wild ride. Uh, so de definitely something to pursue. The author is the same author who has done... Uh, you know, mere inconsequential works like The Tatami Galaxy, uh, The Eccentric Family, Night is Short, Walk on Girl. So uh, uh, this is another one of uh, his award-winning sci-fi things. And uh, Studio Colorido did a, an excellent job in, uh, in, in the whole presentation of it. I found it uh, quite well handled as a production. Uh, they also did A Whisker Away, which I talked about in an earlier cast, which was which was nice, not not truly as uh, compelling. And that, that's where I think that there was more advantage from the the source itself in this case, uh, considering that that author just has a a sense of writing and uh, uh presentation that has huge appeal to me in general so uh i got to see this one at least twice in theaters and it was worth it each time especially as you get towards the end and there's basically a penguin army that turns into a penguin transportation waterfall you can uh you can watch the uh the particular scene that's usually the one that gets uh, flashed around there uh but it's it's overall just such a uh, shit-eating grin kind of ride. That, uh, <laughs> I definitely suggest uh, everyone go on it. So, all right. Uh, so for my number four, I'm going with a series that I think everyone was kind of shocked when it got two core. I think everyone expected it to only get one core and then kind of just fade off into the nothingness. Uh, it's a really fun cooking shoujo series about a girl who is basically used as collateral by her grandfather who passes away and then she discovers that in order to pay off his massive debt that he promised her as a bride to an ogre 
And that would be the fun little series, Kakadu Bed and Breakfast for Spirits. So Kakadu is just one of those, like I mentioned, fun series that everyone kind of thought would only get one core and then kind of disappear. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, I was really surprised when it got a second core and continued on for a full 24 episodes. It's a really fun series. I think it deserves a second season. I don't know if it's ever going to get one, but I think that it really deserves one. It it could it might I'm not of course sure how sales went and uh, you are of course right that uh, Kakuryo does not seem like the kind of thing that would start off with a, a dual core. Uh, the novels are I guess still ongoing. Uh, this was surprisingly enjoyable, and surprising to me was the fact that other folk picked it up. I've mentioned before my friend and her large family out in California. Uh, I was in California and uh, visiting said friend at the time. That's, uh, as I said, I was in Anime Expo in 2018. So that was during the time, you know, when this was airing and uh, found out that her uh, daughter was watching the series on my, you know, my Crunchyroll subscription. So, uh, it was it was interesting to see people just kind of pursue it. Not even b- precisely big anime watchers, but people just pursuing it on their own. And uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a fun time. I don't remember where it ended up at this point. Yeah, I mean, it had a solid ending. It ended on a really good, good note. Um, I. But like I said, I think that since the source material is still ongoing, that it should get a second season. And by the way, how dare you, you know, go to Cal, go all the way to the West Coast and not and not just drive a couple of hours up the coast to visit uh, me while you were at it. That was actually on my potential docket, but the way that it turned out, I'm like. I don't have enough time to add a Seattle leg to this because I had a friend who at the time was still living in Seattle. So there were two people who I did want to uh, drive up there. And this was uh, because I didn't fly out. I was doing a cross-country road trip. I had to factor in just how much time it would take me to get back from there. And I'm like, okay, it would be very interesting, I think, to drive up the West Coast of the country and get up to Seattle. Uh, but then I had to factor in how long it would take to drive back to New Jersey from there, and I'm like, I, I don't, I don't quite have it at this time. Maybe, maybe the next time I would like fly out to San Francisco and then just rent a car and drive up. That's uh, potential, but that that was, you know, the before times, the long, long ago. <laughs> And, uh, many, many moons ago, back when we were allowed <laughs> now, to play. Now friends. this is not even conceivable to leave your house, let alone drive somewhere. Bah. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's move along. What is your last choice? Okay. Now we may have words about this because I think you've actually watched this one. Okay. Uh, like I said, I was not able to watch it in Anime Expo. It was definitely the one that I wanted to watch the most of because of how deep 
uh, uh, Hibike Euphonium resides within me. Uh, but I did not get into the room for Liz and the Bluebird. And uh, I definitely regretted that because that meant I only got to watch it twice in theaters when it came in my <laughs> area as opposed to that third time. But I am just huge with this particular film. I know that it strikes some people as who, who are definitely fans of Hibike Euphonium as a bit askew because they go a much different direction. Uh, what is it? In art style, in uh, certain bits of uh, conveyance, uh, the the soundscape of it, it, it has a notably different feel from Hibike itself, but I think that serves it very well, especially because it, it feels like it's basically been merged with a, uh, a fairy tale and the frame of references from Mizore, who is, you know, quiet and reserved. Uh, we got her and Nozomi, their, their quick story in season two, and in this case, they get to be the the focus uh, of the story, and we get to see the others. You know, they're they're third years now, and Kumiko and Reina and the others are second years. But we get because they, as third years, are you know the dominant uh, players in in the band, and also the others uh, are you know are the president and and vice president of the band. We get we get to shift outside of the normal uh, Kumiko and Reina dynamic and focus, you know, very hard on Mizore and Nozomi and in a way just a a small story of the emotionality between the two of them, you know, what their plans are for the future, what they feel they mean to each other and how they can convey that kind of thing through their music. Uh, there were definitely particularly interesting things about uh, uh, the, the, the soundscape. One of the... It kind of has dual composers in it, because one of them is the actual, you know, main composer uh who's for PBK Euphonium, uh, obviously a concert band focus. But the other one, uh, he was involved later in production with The Silent Voice, which was the movie prior that he worked with, uh, with Naoko Yamada. Uh, but in this one, managed to basically be involved from the very beginning and start to take elements of like walking through this through an actual school the uh, uh the school of i believe the concert band that would be playing here and pulled things in with the sound sound design that they would syncopate uh animation with you know the beat of the music it wasn't approached in the same way you you often would get there was a lot of give and play uh between the the music and sound design the general sound effect design uh and the work itself so i think they 
I think it strikes a, a, a very appealing chord, as it were, uh, certainly for me, but I think in general a lot of people would appreciate that that kind of thing just watching the uh watching the animation and watching the uh, and and hearing it uh you know conveyed in a way that there's that that just feels like interplay between them uh it's it's hard to describe it's easier to experience uh now the reason i said we might have to have words <laughs> is i think this one you did watch and did not care for (laughs) yeah i did watch this one and i wrote not kind words about it in my (laughs) review so uh for us to remain friends (laughs) what uh what went on because i know you didn't uh necessarily put uh UFO in as winning particular ones, but I thought you liked uh, UFO enough. Or was it just that you didn't uh, get into Hebe Euphonium either and uh, and bailed at a certain point? I may simply I be bailed on Euphonium. Yeah, I bailed on Euphonium. I don't remember how far into it I got. I think I watched the entire first season, but I don't remember that specifically. I'd have to look it up. Uh, when I went into Liz and the Bluebird, I didn't really realize that it was a spin-off kind of of Euphonium. So once I got to that point and I realized, oh, this is more of that, that was kind of <laughs> That kind of put a damper on things. Um, so I did. You, did you even have their arc from season two? I don't believe so. No. Man, yeah that that would make it hard to uh, that would make it hard to appreciate. Yeah, I mean the fantasy sequences where they're telling the story within the story, I thought were really good. I really enjoyed those parts, and I wish that the entire movie had been just (laughs) telling that story. Okay. It's not usually a whole lot to a a fairy tale story like that, so it'd be be hard to build a whole movie around. But uh, I did think it was... uh, a, a useful uh, way for for them to ultimately tell the story of Mizore and Azomi. But if you didn't get their arc from season two <laughs> to begin with, that's uh, I'm I'm not sure why you bothered you know finishing the movie in this case. Although it it's slightly more interesting if you did come from it blind. I, but I'm not sure what, how to make how to make of it. It would be more interesting, I suppose, if you liked Hibike Euphonium as an overall work. You just came to it from the movie direction, which which can happen for some people. Some people watch Star Wars movies out of order. <laughs> right, let's go ahead. Let's jump into my last pick. 
So for my last pick, I'm going with a one-core series that took a lot of people by surprise at how good it was, uh, especially considering that the original source material is so divisive. Uh, and that would be Sword Art Online, Gun Gale Online. So Gun Gale Online is just a really fun, cute series with a little cinnamon roll for a main character. <laughs> uh, what I think is really fun about this series is that it's not from the original author of Sword Art Online. It's from the original author of Kino's Journey. Right. So if you don't like Sword Art Online, you don't have to worry about not liking Gun Gale Online because it's not even from the same author. It's basically professional fan fiction. Yes, I'm not sure how you, how that works, but apparently it does. Which, I don't know, I think that that's, that would be kind of badass to write something that becomes popular and then a super popular other author says, I like your work and I want to write in your universe. I think that that would be kind of badass. But yeah, Gun Gale Online, I think, is just a really interesting series. I've watched it probably, I think, two or three times now. Um... It's just really action-packed and twisted in all the right ways. I really like the different little angles that they throw in towards the end with Pico uh, and her partner who has material that literally breaks the game, mm. and yet they still allow him to have it. I cannot believe that he has a shield made from spaceship plating. Yeah, so anyways, but yeah, Gun Gale Online, if you've never watched it before because you think that Sword Art Online is stupid, uh, I suggest going for it anyway and giving it a try because, like I said, it's from a completely different author, so it might be up your alley. And that's true. You're not going to get the the same sort of experience. You're not going to you know, get uh, as isekai-ness a uh, feel to it and, uh, you know, what whatever the uh, the Kirito show and his uh, <laughs> slavish harem uh, <laughs> doing it. Uh, unfortunately for me, this one just kind of got away because Gun Gale Online is one of those worldscapes in SAO that I really didn't like in SAO itself. So it's it's hard to shake the fact that I don't that I found the world itself annoying, the game. <laughs> so it it didn't ultimately have no appeal that I dropped it. I just stopped you know, I didn't watch an episode or two and found that I didn't miss not watching it. So uh, I guess officially it's it's dropped enough at that point. Uh, which which is sad from a certain perspective, but I don't know. It, it, was, it was definitely not amongst my favorite of things. Now, uh, now I'm a little disappointed, though, because one of the things that would definitely have been on my list 
that I thought was going to be on your list, but you didn't even honorable mention it, man. So I'll get a I'll get a fifth thing, and I'll I'll just mention what happened to Wodakoi. I was avoiding it on purpose, and I oh sure, yeah, Wodakoi. I oh, thought man. for sure you were going to bring up Wodakoi. Honestly, I just totally forgot about it. <laughs> I loved that show to death, but when I was putting my list together, it just totally passed me by. I totally blanked on it. Okay. All right. That that I will accept. It's like a, my brain scanned right over. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So that's fine. More, more water koi for the rest of us. <laughs> so I right, do you have any closing comments or thoughts or anything that you want to get out no I think we gave 2018 a good trip awesome so in that case let's go ahead let's wrap things up at that point thank you again for joining me for another fun discussion only one more left to go thanks for discussing with me wait discussing <laughs> there we go that's right. We will timely finish off the 2010s at the end of 2020. Indeed. So, all right. And thank you to all of you for listening to us ramble on for the last hour and a half. If you want to be among the first to listen to these podcasts, please check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash review uh, before they hit major podcast providers. And if you want to do us a solid and give us a like, share, and subscribe, that'd be great. Otherwise, we will talk to you all very soon. Have a great night, everybody. Good night, folks.